But here's the biggest problem in ministry. Here they come with their plan or their idea or their recommendation. It may be written or it may be verbal, but here, here they come. And this is what I see happening all the time. Guys, you have to make a change. This is horrible. And I see this all over in ministry. They come with their plan. They submit their plan. You've, you've directed them to turn in something. And here it is. And you're looking at it. And you're saying, oh, 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 very good. Yes. Yes. Good. Yeah, real good. Okay. You, liar. You can't even tell what direction you gave from looking at this thing. And you're telling them it's good. You're lying to them. That's not honest. You're lying. You're not telling them the truth. 2 Timothy 1.17. God did not give us timidity. He gave us the power to tell the truth. He, he, so you're lying to them. This is the most disrespectful thing you can do to somebody. Tell them it's good. But, but we're weak. We're timid. They, they, uh, there was a guy here. This guy. It wasn't Moses or Paul. It was the head of Kinko's. They were bought out by, American, by FedEx for $2 billion. So he had something going. But they, Leslie Stahl on the CNN program was interviewing. He said, what's the biggest mistake you've made since you've been the founder and CEO of Kinko's? He said, oh, that's easy. He said, I was timid. We've not been given the spirit of timidity. But he said, I, he wasn't, I, I don't think he was a Christian. He said, but I was timid. He said, oh, that's easy, I was timid. She said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I had a liar on my team. I had a dishonest person on my team. And I didn't do anything about it. Finally, it became so untenable that I had to do something about it. But by the time I did, I lost two other people on my team because they lost respect for me. Look, nobody's being fooled when you're mincing words, beating around the bush, making innuendos, and thinking people are getting it and hoping they figure it out on their own because you're timid. We're supposed to have an unction. We're supposed to have the dunamis in here to tell people the truth and respect them enough with the truth. So we lie to them when they come back with an assignment instead of telling them. And then we, go, then we compound the problem. We go home and I get in our lazy boy and fix it. This is so simple. I mean, all you got to do is move this over here. And you, well, if it's so simple, then teach them how to do it. And Jesus modeled that. So what, what are we supposed to do? here, not what I modeled first. How about something like this? George, I really appreciate you took a risk. And it's edifying. I can see it's not what it needs to be yet. But it's edifying. It's encouraging to me that I, I feel like I've got support and you're with me. And we're going we're gonna, to, and there's some things I want to share with you. Now let me tell you, this is a lot better the first assignment I had like this when I worked for Pastor Smith on the west side. This is light years better than my first shot at things. This isn't what it needs to be, but I really respect you for taking a risk and doing what you've done to help and to help us build this ministry. Now, would you, would you be willing to sit down and let me teach you the things I've learned and how we can, I won't do this for you. I won't disrespect you by doing this for you, but I, I want to teach you how to do it. Can we, would you be willing to sit down and let's learn? Let's, let me teach you some things, some things that I've learned. And let me impart into you so you can get this and you'll be able to teach others. Would you be willing to do that? And of course, they'd be willing to do that. That's how you build a partnership and a relationship and trust 
And that's what Jesus did. That's what we have to do. That's time-consuming. Yeah, it's time-consuming. That's why it's 50%, and in your case, we didn't get to it yet, but at least 30% is this coaching. It's not approvable, so you have to provide for their success. But we can't be timid. We can't beat around the bush, mince words, and lie like we do, and then take it back. Take it back. Jesus taught us that. God has not given us that spirit of timidity, but of power. We need to utilize it. I, I love this. A, a pastor in Great Britain, not one that I've met back in the 1800s, but his, his name was, I'm not even sure he was a pastor, quite honestly. His name was Alfred Whitehead. And I love this. He said, apart from blunt truth, our lives sink decadently amid the perfume of hints and suggestions. Yeah, that's a wow, isn't it? Sometimes it's not what we need. Sometimes uh, some correction needs to be made because they didn't follow the direction. And we're weak there because we say, oh, I can't be straight and honest with them because what if we lose them? See, because we're so desperate for people. Because we keep so few of the people God sends and we train so few of the ones we keep that we're so desperate for people that we compromise and we don't speak the truth and we mince words and beat around the bush and be weak and disrespectful to God's people, his saints. We're disrespectful to them. So this came out of me one day, and I'm just going to share it with you here. Desperation is not the criteria for a value system. Desperation is not a criteria for a value system. Yeah, you may be desperate for people. You, you, we're in the restoration business. We don't want to lose anybody. But it's not the criteria. You, you don't compromise on righteousness and God's value system. Okay, and here it is. I, it, First time, I never taught on this before. But I'm being led to do it right here. Um, the first time it happened was, was in Boston. Or it was in Worcester, Massachusetts, actually. And I never, t I never said this before. I, just, I assumed that this was understood. And I've learned since that it's not as clearly understood as it should be. And I can... It's worthwhile coaching, just reminding us of what our assignment is, what our assignment is, all of us. But I was in Worcester, and I said, I was sharing something that Carol taught me years ago. She said, you have to have a righteous standard. You have to have a standard like this that people can ascribe to. There has to be a righteous standard. It can't be all over the place. We were talking about a particular situation, but she said, need to have a righteous standard. So I say, guys, you know, you, your job is to hold, uphold the righteous standard. You have to uphold the righteous standard. You know, that's your, that's your assignment. If you don't do it, who is? Who's going to do it if you don't? It's God's ministry, and he's counting on you to uphold the righteous standard. That's what we're doing here. And I figured that's it, you know. I didn't tend to say anything more. But it kept coming out, kept coming out. And I, and I turned around. Uh, I thought I was going to segue into the next session. And I went to pick up some materials back here, and I see the Korg right here, the Korg keyboard. And I said, some of you have sin on the keyboard. <laughs> I, I was trying to zip it. And I said, some of you have sin on the keyboard. And you're compromising. You're justifying it. 
you're justifying the sin on the keyboard. You're saying, well, you know, we, I mean, we got to have the, the uh, you know, the at, create the atmosphere for me to bring the word, you know. We got to get people in the frame of, to receive my word and, so we got to have this, but so I, so we can't, we let the, we, we know there's sin on the keyboard, but we, we can't afford not to have this guy on the keyboard. And I said, and this kept coming out of me. If you have to hum the hallelujah chorus, hum the hallelujah chorus, but God can't bless what's cursed. And you got a leader here, person in a leadership position that half the church knows is in sin and you're putting up with it. And you wonder why people don't respect you. So... <laughs> I thought, okay, that's it, Lord, right? We did it. And then kept going. And I said, whose ministry is it? Begins with G. And they said, God. Yeah, it's God's ministry. We all have to, from time to time, remember. I have to remember. It's God's ministry, not mine. We make decisions based on it being God's ministry, not Dean's or yours. So I said, whose I said, let me help you. Now, I know what it's like to be you. This is why you have, one of the reasons why your job is tougher than any out there. Because, why? Here, just one example. One little illustration. One little, one little piece of the pie. The guy on the keyboard here, he, he came out of the youth group. You've, you've ministered to him since he was this high. And he's come out of children's ministry, the youth group. And he's now the keyboard player. Not only that, but you married him. Not only that, but his parents have been here since dirt. In fact, they're elders. They're also, not only that, but they're the biggest givers. Not only that, but they're connected with eight other families that are also the top eight givers. And not only that, and not only that. So... This is good, you know, we may have to put up with this. Because it's, you know, this could cause a split. This could affect the ministry, my ministry. The question is, what would, it's a simple answer. It's just hard to do. But a simple answer, what would God want you to do? Is God interested in building a large group of people living unrighteously? Or is he interested in perhaps a smaller group that is a standard to the world and anybody who enters and anybody who comes to serve there. Well, that's an easy answer. But these are the challenges you face all the time. And I just want to leave you with desperation is not the criteria for a value system. You have to administer righteousness for God. Okay, providing success. You can't take them higher unless you get involved in their life doesn't come from lectures. Jesus got involved in their life. You can't take people higher unless you get involved in their life. You can't influence people from a distance. You have to, have, and we're going to learn when we get over here to the Proverbs process, how we build relationship and partnership with people to build God's kingdom work. You can't influence people from a distance or doing it for them or being dishonest. And that's why I was in such misery last night when we looked at Grand Central Station. When I, when I was in such mis misery when I went through there in the morning and came home at night and why I hated that job so much because I was doing everything for them, bailing them out, dealing with all their problems, helping them, helping them survive, and I wasn't. I was failing. 
and becoming messed up real bad and disrespectful to people around me and mostly to my family. This is a partnership and a relationship, not a dictatorship. And these are, this is what I wanted to read before. I'm just going to do it. It just will come out faster and clearer if I can find my glasses. God taught me this before I knew him. He taught me for years before I even knew him, but he was preparing me for such a time as this. In my years of corporate experience, I, well, I wrote I invested in them. It was the only way I could get promoted. I've been writing this. So this is one of the executive briefs to the partners. In my years of corporate experience, I was promoted rapidly. Why? Not because in, individually I was, I was so successful in what I did and what I produced, neither be, because I, but rather because I placed a premium on ensuring others were successful. As a result, I provided much more value for my company, more depth of competence, more expansion potential, more of me. More of me. See, I learned very quickly. If I want to go up there, they're not moving me up there unless the people down here are better than bozos. Okay? So I, I had to invest in them. I took them to the board meetings. I took them to the meeting. I said, they came up with these ideas. They did this. They figured it out. That, look what Susie came. She did that. And they said, wow, you got some sharp people under you. We can afford to move you up here because they can take over. Well, I learned that pretty quickly since I was mismotivated, like I told you yesterday, by money. I and you must replicate our, I invested myself or replicated myself in others. I invested in them. I taught them my learnings, my experience, my mistakes. Be transparent. Your failures, your, your value system, your teachable points of view, the skills and tools and techniques and shortcuts that you came up with that work, teach them those. I didn't know the Timothy process. I just knew that was, it made sense. And God was teaching me these things before he taught me his word. And the world system, like I told you, knows more about this than we do. They're better at applying it. We know about it, but we don't do it. And let me just share with you quickly. What we do here is we coach and teach and train and mentor. We coach and teach and train and mentor. 30% at least initially. Get there immediately. Coaching, teaching, training, and mentoring your people. Coach, teach, train, and mentor your people. And what's the difference? Well, you need to be a blend of all of those. But let's, let's just look. People say, well, what's the difference? I get asked that question a lot, so let's cover it right here. Just very quickly, though. A coach. It's like the coach of a team, any team in a sport. The coach is not in the game. It doesn't work very well. Oh, there's a few that have tried it. They don't last very long. It doesn't work. The coach is not in the game. The coach has to be back here evaluating what changes need to be made to win the game. The coach has to establish a game plan. The coach, the coach has to tell the team, this is the way we play the game. This is, this is our game plan. And the, this is, these are our patterns. These are what we run. This is the plays we run. This is how we do it. This is how we play defense. The coach has to encourage them. Sometimes the coach is an encourager. He has to he, he calls a timeout. Guys are doing great. Now we got two minutes to go. Here's, we got to remember this, this, this. He's remember. They know it, but he's reminding them. You encourage them. And he's also timeout, 
Frank, you're not boxing out. Joe, you're not passing off. You're not running the plays. Joe, you're out of, Fred, you're out of position. Now, come on, wake up. So he's got to correct. As a leader, you got to learn how to hug and kick. You know, you got to learn how to hug and kick. We got to have fair and balanced here, okay? I mean, if all you do is hug, you got people running roughshod over you and the sheep. No correction. And all, you, all you do is kick, you got nobody to hug. So you got to do both. So that's a coach encourages and corrects. Uh, a teacher is doing principally what I'm doing here, teaching. I'm sharing experiences, lifelong experiences, 48 years of stuff I'm pouring into you. I'm sharing learnings, and I'm instructing, so I'm teaching. But then training is a little different. Training is showing somebody how to do it. And that's what we get into in the advanced trainings, with the Im implementation trainings, we call them, where we learn, where I can train, and we can talk about, okay, now when you do this, and then what happens? And then, okay, now think about, and we train. Just like you train an animal, there's a repetition, it's the motor of learning. So you show people how to do it, you challenge them to do it. You have a trainer at the gym, he doesn't do the heavy lifting, he tells you how to lift properly. And he trains you to have a right regimen in your life to meet the goals that you've established. So repetition, refinement, perfecting, stretching is important. The, your trainer will stretch you to go to new levels. That's what we do as a trainer. So you're a coach, you're a teacher, you're a trainer, you're teaching sitting here, you're training, and then you're a mentor, like an Edisus who trusted his son with mentor. And he became, he took a personal interest in him. We take a personal interest in God's people. This isn't about just getting the job done. This is about helping them reach their destiny in life. We have a personal interest in the ones that have been entrusted to us. So a personal relationship is critical. Personal transparency, overall life experiences here. We want them to succeed. We want them to go the distance with God and be all they can be for him, to fulfill the purpose for which they were designed and created. And I'm here because I had mentors in my life who didn't let me cave in, who pushed me, who stretched me, who helped me and counseled me, encouraged me to go the distance. They were my advocate. They were my friend. And they spoke truth into my life. That's what some of the differences are very quickly. Now let's go to number five, evaluation. Evaluation. We obtain evaluation. Key operative word here is obtain. Just don't forget, this is a huge part of your job. If this is 100%, this is at least 30 initially, and what do they tell Wexner? 50. Spielberg, Welch, Callaway, PepsiCo, 50% of their time investing in people, this discipleship. 30, out the gate, 100% here. Obtain evaluation. We obtain it. So what is implicit in that? We get it from somebody else. What is it that you get on, a, on your pro forma when you're going to make an investment? What is the little line at the bottom in red or bold? It says, past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future success, right? They always have a, a, a disqualifier there or a disclaimer or whatever they're called. And uh, yeah, so a full bucket, when well, you think, hey, we got a full bucket here, and the thing's leaking like a sieve if you don't evaluate it. 
And I told you yesterday, the pastor that said, you know, I'm so frustrated. We never worked so hard 24-7. We had nothing to show for it because the bucket was leaking and he didn't see it. What God asked him to do wasn't getting done. He thought it was getting done, thought the bucket was full. But the bucket is leaking. And I talked to you yesterday. If you're not evaluating, you're just circling the drain. And eventually it's going to go kaplunk. Or you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. We went through that yesterday. The ship's going down and you're setting up for the sunbathers. Without evaluation, that's how far off the mark we get. And this is, uh, this is a good example. The most important thing we're in business to do, the Great Commission, teach them and train them after you reach them. And we don't even know where we stand. So you've got to know where the puck is. You've got to know where the puck is. And all the flailing and all the action, you've got to know where the puck is. Or if it's basketball, you know, Magic Johnson said this, the key for my success, I had to know where the ball, where the ball was, where it could, all the options of where it could go next. And then when it went next, where it would go after that. Well, we have to be thinking the same way. That's how, they, that's how they're successful in sports. That's how you're successful in business. It's like the game of chess. You've got to be able to think. Three, the further you can think out ahead, the better you're going to be. You have to anticipate. That's one of the keys, to anticipate what could go wrong. So you've got to know where the puck is or where the ball is and where it's about to go. You can't just sit there. You've got to be thinking. You've got to be able to see the forest for the trees. That's why time to think is so important. Now you evaluate. There's a number of different forms, and we'll begin to teach you those things. The first form, of course, is when you meet with your team. You're going to meet with your team, and you're going to sit down, and I'm going to teach you how you meet with your team and how you evaluate with your team. But the fastest way that you evaluate with your team, I'm going to teach you there's four or five ways you can evaluate, tools you have at your avail to evaluate, and I want to teach you those over time. But the fastest way to evaluate is to have honest people on your team. So that's why honesty is so important. But it starts with you. If you're, if you're timid and mincing words with people, you're not, that's what you're going to get in return, dishonesty. You got, it starts with you. You've got to model it and, ex, and then establish an honest culture in your ministry, starting with you. So you have to have honest people on your team. Then it becomes real simple to evaluate. You simply say, how are we doing in your department? And they, you get the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help them. If they want to stay on the team, you get an honest answer right here completely honest answer right here that you say you have honest people on your team and you but you have to establish that culture you can't expect that they know that how serious you are about that without establishing an honest culture. then you have you can have status reports we're going to talk about an annual strategic planning evaluation calendar how you chart the course with the plan we're going to learn that but then how do you stay the course so that you get it done. And then we learn how to evaluate by presentation. They make presentations to you. They that you obtain evaluation when they come to you and give you a full report. And we need to teach them how to do that succinctly, clarity, with clarity. So you get to know what you need to know to take the pulse. That's what you're doing here. You just need to take the pulse of the ministry. And they're coming to you with the report. And we'll talk about that, too, if you'll listen faster.
Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. That's what I'm talking about here, thinking ahead. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Proverbs 22, 3. Or another one says, I don't know what it is, the fool waits until he is thirsty to dig a well. So we as leaders have to identify emerging targets. Emerging targets. Or things that are going to be potential vulnerabilities to your ministry. That's what you're doing when you evaluate. That's what you focus on as a leader. You know what God wants, and so you're continually focused on that, wondering or looking for what is going to be a potential vulnerability. I can sense it in my spirit. The Holy Spirit, it's God's ministry. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you. He'll forewarn you about future incapabilities or future problems. And we talked about coaching, teaching, training, mentoring. Let me, let me share something with you here. I call it my Thelma illustration. But I want, because I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to understand what I just said about anticipating what's... If you're going to be a disciple of men, I said this earlier, but if you're going to be a disciple of men, you have to be sitting here telling them what they're going to need to have two, three years from now to do what you know God's going to want two or three years from now. You're just sitting here teaching them what they need to make it through the week. You're going to hit a plateau at some point. And you're going to outstrip the vision or the mandates. So here we are today, and here's you, here you were years ago, and you first started preaching. And you said, nobody gets the tapes. Okay? Nobody taping. No, no recorders in here either. Watch for them, ushers. And don't, don't, nobody tapes, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable enough with my preaching yet. I don't want any tapes going out to the real world, you know, so don't, no taping, okay? So that was the decree for a while, but then finally, you know, you got more comfortable, but people really cherished the mission, the, the uh, message. And so they said, Pastor, can't, that was a great message, and they meant it, and, uh, you know, <laughs> they meant it. And, and, they, and then they, they said, uh, you know, can't can we have tapes? I'd like to listen to that again. I need to get that down in here. And I want to give it to my family or my wife or my husband or whatever. Or friend, this would minister to, can we have, please have those tapes? And so you said, okay, I'm comfortable. Yeah, okay. Well, who's going to do the tapes? Well, we found somebody, Thelma. Thelma said she'd bang out some tapes. Okay, so we got Thelma Start. We got Thelma right here. Thelma kicks in. We get her a tape, tape uh, duplicator, and we tell Thelma, you know, bang out some tapes for the people that want them, and they come out to the bookstore and give them, you know, sell them the tapes or whatever. Okay, so Thelma bangs out the tapes, and everything goes along for a while. But now the congregation's grown, and now there's there's uh, 36 people that want tapes, and so. You know, they're waiting out there for 45 minutes after service. They're lined up waiting for the tapes. And so we tell Thelma, Thelma, we got to have more ta faster production here, Thelma. And so you need to recruit some people to help bang out the tapes. And then we're going to buy you a few more machines, okay? We're going to get five machines, and we're going to need to have five more operators in here, okay? And so Thelma... We, we need her to go up here now. But Thelma, we never taught Thelma how to relate to people, how to do.
do any of this stuff, and Thelma drives them off faster than we can recruit them. Thelma is repelling people faster than we can keep them. And so we have a coaching opportunity now, right? We, got, we, got a, we have a teachable, teachable moment here. And we, and, but bless her heart, Thelma handles it. And Thelma learns. She's teachable. She receives it properly. And she makes a change. And she ingratiates the people in. And here they come. And boy, it's going great. Okay? But now... Here we are now two more years down the road, or three, and God is saying, okay, now I want you on the radio or TV. And we're on TV. And here's where we're, you know back here, we're going on TV up here. He's starting to speak to you about that. And Thelma just passed the muster here to get five more machines and keep the people, okay? And Thelma's going to have to now, up here, what are we going to be up here? We're going to be a fulfillment center. We're going to be receiving mail. We're going to be receiving prayer requests. We're going to be receiving money. We're going to have to have more machines. We're going to have hundreds of people needing tapes. We're, they're going to need to be, you've set a criteria. We've got to respond to them within 48 hours, Thelma. Make it happen. <laughs> and Thelma is going to run. Because you cheated her. You cheated her and stole from her ability to do this because there's been no teaching along the way. We've not prepared her for this moment. And, and now, she, now she may not be able to handle it, and that sometimes that happens. But then we put her in under somebody who can, and they still love you, and they learn from that person. So many people that I've had to do that with have thanked me. Boy, I learned so much more by putting under that sitting under that person. But, but Thelma, it's a fulfillment center. We, gotta, we, have to, we have to purchase tapes. We have to inventory tapes. We have to calculate how many are going out, how many we have to order. We have to clean the machines. We have to, buy, we have to train new people all the time as the numbers increase. It's a fulfillment center. And until we, if we don't start training Thelma here for the f fulfillment center we're going to need in two or three years, we're, she's not going to make it and we've just cheated her. And if you don't delegate, and if you don't empower people in your ministry, you're cheating and stealing and depriving from them their ability to be all they can be for God. But if you're not delegating, then you're cheating. Just like, this, this is strong, and I, I, I'm intentionally being strong. If you're, not, if you're not delegating to others, if you are not giving them an opportunity to grow and learn and do this, then you're cheating and stealing from their ability to reach the fullness of their destiny for which they were created. And that, that weight is heavy. That's a heavy weight. And God will hold us accountable. He's going to ask us, what did you do? If you're not delegating to others, you're cheating and stealing from their ability to become more valuable and contribute more to God's kingdom work. You're cheating. It's no different than you stole their wallet because you're stealing their destiny.